It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design, the kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Well... I love 40s. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 633 of Lockdown Raptors for Friday, January the 3rd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Lockdown Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, as always, please make sure you're checking out the Lockdown Podcast Network. We have team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams, all 32 NFL teams, a whole bunch of NHL teams, most of the baseball teams, and a whole whack of college programs as well. If you are a fan of a team in any of the big sports there is a very good chance that we have a show covering that team daily local it's all very good for uh diehard fans so make sure you're checking it out subscribing rating reviewing all that good stuff and it's very much appreciated when you do that helps us jump up the rankings and become more visible and all that good stuff so thank you for doing that. Uh, all right, on today's show, it's just me here talking about the Raptors 84 76. Yes, that is a score from 2019, I guess 2020. Uh, lost to the Miami Heat 84 76 last night in Miami. Just uh, an ugly ass game. It's just that there's not much else to really say about it. It's hard to come up with a lot of opinions on this one. It's a game where the Raptors shot horribly and were missing three of their six best players and two players in particular who would have been very useful. I guess all three guys actually would have been very useful in breaking apart the Miami zone, which they ran pretty much the entirety of the game. It was some Nick Nurse janky ass defense from the Heat. You Typically, you'll see a zone for a, a stretch here a stretch there not even the Raptors who love zone usually you know play it for more than like a a half of a quarter at a time but the Heat pretty much played the same zone defense from start to finish and why wouldn't you 
against a Raptors team that just did not have any shooting on the night and never found it shooting on the night. Uh, the worst three-point shooting, I believe, in the history of the team. 6 of 42, 14%. Just uh, rough stuff. I guess the worst high-volume shooting night in the history of the team. And you know, I'm sure they had like one of 15 nights back in the day. But that is uh, very different. That's Derek Martin shit and not really uh, something that we talked about in 2020 anymore. But so... This game, yeah, just the Raptors could never find enough shooting or, or scrounge together a lineup that had enough spacing or playmaking in the middle to really break out of the, the heat zone enough to make the heat go away from it. And it just seemed to work just enough for the heat to be able to stick with it for the entire game. And it seemed like at times the Raptors were flirting with breaking through it and maybe forcing Eric Spolstra to change things up. But anytime they did get something going, there would be a timeout called by Spolstra or there would just be no consistency from the Raptors in continuing what they were doing to break it apart. You know, the thing I thought they did most successfully early on in trying to address the, the zone was just get it into the middle for either Rondé Hollis-Jefferson or Serge Ibaka in that soft spot of the zone. And, you know, cut off of that, they had, I think, uh, Rondé make a nice pass to Serge Ibaka baseline that got a dunk out of it early on in the first quarter. There were a couple instances where it seemed like they moved the ball really nicely. There was a great play. Uh, it seemed like in the second quarter, there a big, a big part of the strategy was to just attack the zone quickly before it could really get set and you saw Fred Van Vliet a couple times drive right, right into the teeth of the defense get into the middle himself and then sort of kick out from there and you know hopefully open up some nice looks and they did that to end the second quarter with a beautiful little sequence where Fred drove kicked to Kyle and then Lowry uh, got it down to OG Ananobi who hit his first three of the game in the corner and that seemed like a nice wonderful finish to the half but they could just never string possessions like that together and in large part, it was because the end of the possessions was not going super well because they were breaking everything. You know, they were, there were a lot of good looks created, and I thought the Raptors did a good job of just being pretty happy with bombing threes. They put up 42 on the night. Like, that's a number you want volume-wise, and you would think most of the time that you put up that many threes, you're going to hit at least enough, and they hit three more threes in this game, and they win it. They just, they were ice cold from out there, and that was pretty much the story of the game. There's not much else to really, you know, tie to it. The Raptors did an okay job, you know, picking apart the zone at times, but just the personnel out there, you know, either were not hitting their shots as they normally would hit, or just were out there totally out of their depth as guys trying to break a zone with three-point shooting who just have no business breaking a zone with three-point shooting. A lot of Patrick McCaw in this one. There was a time where the score app was like broken and Patrick McCaw was sitting on 35 minutes in the 33rd minute of the game in the third quarter and it honestly felt kind of right because McCaw was out there a lot and he hit one three in the game one of four from deep one of eight overall and that was kind of one of the symptoms of the team is just McCaw being out there not able to do anything to help break apart that zone when when a zone is really giving you trouble you need everyone to kind of chip in and McCaw being out there is an absolute nothing didn't help and it was perplexing to me and look Terrence Davis had a rough game he was 0-5 from 3 but it was perplexing to me that Davis, who is a 41% three-point shooter, wasn't playing more against this the, the zone because, you know, what shooters are on this team right now? It's kind of hard to scrounge together a lineup with five or even four good shooters for the Raptors. You'd figure at any time to have Davis out there would be a nice little breath for the spacing. He's, you know, very eager to take those threes. He's been 41% all year. Why not throw him out there? And he played just 13 minutes in this game, had just two minutes in the first half until Nick Nurse got him some more run in the second half, but he just never found a rhythm and, and was breaking everything. And that ultimately, you know, you can create all the lineups and, and, and put all the shooters out there you 
want. But if your dude's like Kyle Lowry, who's a great three-point shooter, is going to go 2 of 12, and Fred Van Vliet's going to go 1 of 11, and D- Davis is going to go 0 of 5, you're kind of screwed. I mean, 3 of 28 from those three guys, who are probably your three best shooters right now, is not going to cut it against a team that is daring you to shoot threes. And that's the story of this game. There's not a whole lot of analysis to it. On the defensive end, I thought the Raptors were awesome. I thought Kyle Lowry did an incredible job on Jimmy Butler, and they did a great job of getting the ball out of Butler's hands. And, you know, Butler was 2 of 10 on the night. Lowry had a lot to do with that. I thought they did a pretty decent job on the glass. They did themselves a very good job on the offensive glass to try to get themselves extra possessions, and it just didn't quite work for the Raptors. But, you know, I thought they did a good job of sort of doing what teams do to the Raptors and taking advantage of their weird schemes by just crashing the glass when the opportunity's there didn't work out and but on defense I thought they did a pretty good job rebounding and you know it was just a game where if a few more shots go down the Raptors played well enough on on defense to win this game by a lot it's just their offense was so stuck in the mud and that's to be expected you know you can probably get really panicky if you want about the team and their offense and how things are, are are kind of tailing down here and they're four and four over the last eight games but then you remember oh yeah the three of the six or seven best players in the team and the best offensive player and the best facilitator and the guy best suited to stand in the middle of the zone and pick apart a defense all were out of the lineup and then you realize, hey, let's not get too upset about this. Let's not uh, get too carried away with any sort of despair. This is a team that still is in a very good position and has been doing a really good job of treading water while the uh, while the big guns have been out. And look, the West, the Eastern Conference, it's not like they've fallen any further down in the standings either. The number four, I believe they were fourth when the injuries all happened. The Sixers are sputtering a little bit. The Pacers have run into an actual NBA schedule, and they're struggling a little bit as well, picking up some losses along the way, and they're still very much within striking distance in the way they've played. The Raptors are number two in defense right now. They've been fantastic on the defensive end. You would think that's going to continue when they get Marc Gasol and Pascal Siakam back, two guys who are borderline all-defense guys, plus Norman Powell. When those guys eventually return, you would assume that the defense is going to pick up right where it left off and be just as good and just as dominating and probably more multiple and you know versatile and all those things that made it that monstrous defense it was last season. Plus, you'd think the offense is going to figure its shit out. And, you know, in that game last night against the Heat, if you have Gasol in there, I'm pretty sure the Raptors win that game. He's much more adept at picking apart that middle part of the zone. He can find Cutter's baseline. You're freeing Abaka up to not have to be that player because, man, Abaka was, again, you know, you can put Abaka in the best situation and have him take all those 18-footers. If he's going to go 9 of 21 in the game and 0 of 4 from 3, you're kind of screwed. And so the process of it all I thought was pretty good for the Raptors. I thought the, the Heat were able to stick with their defense just because of missed shots. And ultimately, you know, it sounds like a Dwayne Caseyism, and it is, but like make or miss is, is kind of the thing. And the Raptors missed many, many shots. And that was pretty much the story of the game. Not anything to be too concerned about. And uh, hopefully they start to get some word on the health of these guys. It's been eight games now. I know it's been like 10 days since those injuries happened and they just had this really compact schedule, but um, I I would think that we should start to hear some stuff coming up soon here, at least I would hope, Uh, otherwise it starts to get a little bit concerning. Uh, also, in terms of the schedule, things also, I think, lighten up. That Heat game was kind of the last hurdle. Uh, they take on Brooklyn this weekend. They take on Portland, Charlotte, the Spurs, the Thunder again in OKC. And then they got, like, the Wizards and the Wolves and the Hawks and the Knicks and the Spurs again and the Hawks and the Cavs and the Pistons. Really, it's just the Sixers and that Thunder game and maybe that Portland game coming up that are actually difficult. They should be able to rattle off some wins here. And then hopefully by the end of the month, they get some guys back because then things get a little bit more difficult in February. 
February, but still pretty easy schedule from here on out. And they've treaded water through the most difficult part that they're going to face with all of these guys out at four and four with a couple of nice wins in there. Really not much to be upset about. So I'll put a bow on talking about that heat game and we'll throw it in the trash forever because we never have to look at that thing again, thankfully. And uh, we'll get into the second segment and we'll actually answer a couple of mailbag questions that came in. I figured why not open it up? Haven't had mailbag questions in a while, so that's coming up. And at the end of the show, we're going to check in on the Fred Van Vliet Secure the Bag Meter? Is that what the segment's called? Yes, that is. The Secure the Bag Meter of Fred Van Vliet. We'll get to that in the final segment as uh, he's been pretty rough since he got back. And his shooting last night obviously was the uh, nadir of his shooting woes of, re- uh, of late, but it's been rough ever since he got back. So we'll talk about that too. But first, let's talk about calm. We talk about physical fitness a lot, but there's another side of the game that's just as important. I'm talking about mental fitness. Calm, the number one app for sleep and meditation, has teamed up with LeBron James to help you train your mind. LeBron and Calm know that your mind is like any other muscle in your body, and Calm can help train your brain so you sleep better, have less stress, and perform at your best. For LeBron James, sleep is an important part of his mental fitness routine. He says, quote, getting good sleep and finding time to rest is one of the most valuable things I can do for my body and mind. And the dude is like 35 years old and still tearing it up. He must be onto something. And if you head to calm.com slash locked on NBA, you're going to get 40% off a Calm premium membership. With Calm, you have access to nature sounds and scenes like LeBron loves, like the one that's called Rain on Leaves. That sounds really peaceful to sleep to. And so much more like sleep stories and meditations. For a limited time, our listeners can join LeBron in using Calm with a 40% discount to an annual membership at calm.com slash locked on NBA. That's C-A-L-M.com slash locked on NBA. Unlock content to help you focus, ease stress, and sleep better. Get started at calm.com slash locked on NBA. That is calm.com slash locked on NBA. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. All right, let's get into your questions. We'll take a couple here. This one comes from J.D. Carante. Rondé is pretty much tiptoeing around Nick Nurse's doghouse. Aside from always being on the verge of losing his balance, what are the things that seem to drive Nurse crazy when it comes to Rondé? So this is a tough one because Rondé always seems to kind of embody what Nick Nurse wants. Just dudes are going to play hard, give it all when they're out there and play basically like maniacs. I do think Rondé can kind of get caught up in a couple of things, though. I think his defensive intensity can kind of wane at times, and I think he can kind of lose guys, especially off-ball. He's great on-ball. He's great when he takes smaller guys in the perimeter. He's great guarding bigs in the post. But I do think you can kind of... When the Raptors are really getting picked apart and you're seeing, you know, the little dump-off dunks and stuff like that, we saw a few of those last night with Bam kind of being the orchestrator of them. I think typically... You're probably looking at Rondé and it's some and to some extent Serge Ibaka as sort of being the culprits there just because they kind of lose their guys or, or you know overcommit one way and then open up a space for another guy to seep into on, on the backside of them. You know, there, there's there's that with Rondé. I also think on offense, I can't imagine Nurse loves it when Rondé takes the offense into his own hands. And look, it's, at this point with so many guys hurt and so little offensive juice around the roster right now, I don't totally begrudge Rondé for sometimes taking it 
into his own hands. And, you know, we had a couple nice post-ups last night where he really sort of bludgeoned, uh, I, I can't remember who it was, might have been Bam, it might have been some other poor Miami Heat dude who gets fat shamed. I, I can't remember exactly who, but there was a couple nice post-ups in there. He obviously has those bizarro, like, 10-foot pull-up jumpers that sometimes go down. Most of the time they don't, but sometimes they do. But I do think the thing that Nurse really hates, and the times where you've seen him get mad at Rondé are after games where he's taken, like, more than one three. That's a problem. And I think, again, that's kind of a symptom of not having the guys available and, you know, having to space guys to weird spots in the floor and use them in situations that aren't entirely natural. And it's part partly Rondé playing next to Serge Ibaka, who is the dive man, who is the guy who is the pick and pop threat, who needs to be in the middle of the floor. You can't be having Rondé also doing that, even though he is probably the better, you know, or sorry, the, the more useful screener in that situation just based on the skill sets you can have surge space to the corner and that is a little bit more viable although it's not great because he's been breaking threes as well but with Rondé it seems like sometimes he'll kind of get out of his element and take a couple threes and I would imagine that kind of throws Nurse off he's mentioned this year that everyone on the team except for Rondé and explicitly saying Rondé's name has the green light from three and so I wonder if maybe if we look back at the times where Nurse is sort of the most disenchanted with the Rondé experience whether they're tied to games that, you know, Rondé's taken two or three threes and bricked all of them because that's what he does. Um, I'd be curious to go back and sort of cross-reference the quotes and stuff like that. But I think for the most part, you know, Rondé's not so much in Nurse's doghouse as much as he is just sort of a a volatile player, right? And, you know, Nurse started him. I I think Nurse likes Rondé a lot, and I think he's well beyond, like, Stanley Johnson, who got some run last night for some reason. Um, You know, not exactly a zone breaker there in in Stanley Johnson, but sure. But Rondé started the game against the Cavs. It feels like he's part of the rotation, whether they're healthy or not. So I don't think it's maybe quite as serious as we think. There's there's been a couple times, obviously, where he's been there. But again, I think if you went back and looked back at the times where Nurse has been most upset with Rondé, it's been after he's taken a little bit too much of a liberty from downtown, and honestly, I can't blame Nurse for that, because possessions are very precious for this team right now. You can't be wasting them on Rondé Hellish Jefferson threes, because good God, those are ugly as hell. Next question here comes from Joseph Triglav. Who do you think has been the most impressive stepping up with the current round of injuries? I'll go outside of Kyle Lowry because obviously it's Kyle Lowry. He's been absurd. He has made himself a claim to definitely be an all-star once again. And after that, it gets tough because a lot of guys have been a little bit disappointing. I think OG Ananobi has kind of gone in and out of the action and not been terribly consistently involved in the action on the floor and obviously he's missing his threes at a pretty ridiculous clip right now and you know he was two of five last night the only raptor to hit two which was nice but just uh, a little bit of inconsistency for OG. Fred Van Vliet, and we'll get to him in the last segment, has been shooting horribly. You've had Serge Ibaka, who's had his great games and his not-so-great games. He's probably the right answer here. He's been pretty good in, you know, probably half the games since all the injuries took place. I think Terrence Davis has also been really nice. He's had a couple quiet games too, but he's been really effective and really useful in a couple games as well. But maybe the real answer is Chris Boucher, who has had those two big scoring games. He has been just consistently reliably chaotic when he gets on the floor. He's still got a pretty good true shooting percentage. He's not bombing, you know, erroneous threes that he shouldn't be putting up. 
He's kind of fitting into his role perfectly. He's crashing the offensive glass. So I'll give it to Chris Boucher, who might be the guy who loses his spot when eventually when guys come back and everyone gets healthy, especially since two of the guys that are out right now are big men. But Boucher has definitely made a claim to have some minutes after the Raptors get healthy once again at some point, if that ever happens this season, because it seems like every time they get healthy, some other guy goes down. But the uh, the play of Boucher has been really impressive, and I think he probably earns the nod here. Even last night, you know, it wasn't terribly effective offensively just I mean he was one of one from the field maybe he should have shot more but he had the eight boards he was pretty good defensively when his when he was out there for his 13 minutes and even when he's not scoring he's like making very obvious impacts on the game his super bizarre offensive boards where he's falling out of the out of the baseline and you know kind of barely hanging on and just sort of squeaking his very skinny body into spaces where maybe he shouldn't get to try to get to rebounds it's all been very cool and i've enjoyed the chris boucher experience much more than i ever thought i would so i'll say chris boucher with a runner-up tag to serge Ibaka and terrence davis obviously kyle lowry's been the most most impressive and he's the only reason they're four and four through these eight games there's a question about whether i have any info on the injury report i got nothing i don't have sources I am a bad reporter. Look to Blake Murphy and Eric Kareen for stuff like that and all the regular beat reporters. I, uh, you know, I'm at the mercy of what the Raptors PR account tweets out. And so nothing yet on any of those guys. It'd be nice if there was something, but I don't think we're going to get anything for a while here, or at least we haven't for a while here, and I hope we get something soon, but I have no idea what to think right now. It's, you know, we had the the slight report of Norm traveling to Boston. That was a few games ago now, and I'm not sure what's really come of that all very strange and very unclear and murky. So I'll stay away from any sort of speculation. And last question we'll quickly hit on here from at Mike Spencer WNS. He asks, are the Raps primed to be the most exciting, wacky, batshit, crazy five seed the NBA has ever seen? Uh, I would say they're primed to be the most exciting, wacky, batshit, crazy four seed the NBA has ever seen. I think they're going to win a lot of games once they get healthy. Like the back part of the schedule is pretty easy. It's pretty home heavy. And they are a very good team with an excellent defense that should be somewhere better than 16th in offense once they get all their horses back. It you know it would be kind of shocking if they didn't creep back up near top 10. And I think they, you know, as exciting, wacky, and batshit they, uh, as they are, I think they're also like a really formidable opponent. And, you know, seeing last night like a Raptors heat matchup sort of previewed, that's a little terrifying if that's a 4-5 because the, the Heat are a problem. But also, I think the Raptors have the offensive juice to win that series that the Heat just don't. And so, you know, I, I think they are much more than just like a kooky weirdo team that's going to be a first round out or a second round out in four games. This is a team that I really think, once they're all healthy, if that ever happens, can make some real noise. It's, it's proven that the mix of playing their asses off and maybe the fact that they've played their asses off all season long you know, implies that maybe their ceiling's a little bit lower than a lot of these other teams, and maybe they can they have less of a gear to turn it to in the postseason. But this is also a team that has that championship pedigree and the experience with those like crazy tightrope games, and I think that matters. I think that is going to come into play at some point in the postseason. So more than just a wild, crazy bat batshit crazy five seed, I think they're going to be uh, a problem of a five seed or a four seed or maybe a three seed. I, I don't know if the Heat can keep up this winning pace all season long, nor the Celtics. Like the, we're still pretty early on here there's lots of basketball to be played and I think the Raptors are only like three or four games out of the two seed in terms of the loss column that can quickly be made up with a losing streak or a winning streak here or there so yeah not just the five seed I think they have a chance to be something much more than that and uh, that's going to do it for the questions thank you for sending those in sorry if I didn't get to your question on today's show but I have to quickly take a quick break and on the other side 
we are going to revisit the Fred Van Vliet Secure the Bag Meter for the first time in a while, as things have maybe changed a little bit for Fred Van Vliet, who the last time we checked in with was uh, in line to make some ludicrous north of $25 million a year money. I don't think that's the case anymore. I'll tell you why, and I'll tell you why in just a second. Hey guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast, and being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. All right, it is time to take a look at the Fred Van Vliet Secure the Bag Meter. Bet on yourself. Bet on yourself. All right, so Fred Van Vliet, uh, not been super sharp over the last eight games since returning from injury. Maybe it's partly injury. Maybe it's just the fact that it's a cold streak and it's kind of being amplified by the lack of space on the floor. But it's been rough, and I, I think we're probably safe to assume that the estimates of 25 to $30 million from the windhorsts of the world are probably a little bit overstating Fred Van Vliet's market value, even in a very you know, tough and not very full free agent market this summer, I, I still think, and I think it applies still, that a lot of the teams with cap space that are going to have money to throw around to Fred are not teams that really are in need of point guards. There are teams that have invested high picks in young point guards, whether it's John Morant in Memphis or Trey Young in, uh, in Atlanta. And look, you can probably play Fred Van Vliet with both of those guys, and it might actually be useful, but I do think you're kind of capping yourself a little bit if you're spending a lot of that money on a point guard to already go with your very good point guard. It seems like maybe a bit of a redundancy to throw money at, but you know, I guess it's worked for the Raptors, so maybe I'm overstating the maybe the the resistance those teams would have to signing Fred. Still, I think the way Fred has played of late over the last eight games, he has been a negative 4.6 net rating when he's on the floor, which, you know, the Raptors overall, not many guys are posting insanely good net ratings right now. Uh, in fact, just four guys actually are over the last eight games are below zero. Patrick McCaw, Serge Ibaka, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi. Starting five has not been awesome, <laughs> as it turns out. Lowry is still a, still a positive player. All the bench guys have been really positive. But with Fred Van Vliet, you know, it's been just really rough shooting-wise. That's been the biggest thing that stood out. His playmaking's still there. He's averaging six and a half assists over those eight, eight, those eight games. Um, he still has a pretty decent assist-to-turnover ratio. But the true shooting over the last eight games is 44.4. He's at 28.3% from three on seven and a half attempts a game. And you can see in a game like last night against the Heat how that's going to cost you. And it 
basically was the reason they lost that game last night. It was Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry, both the two of them, not offering anything from downtown when they desperately needed something from downtown. And look, a lot of those looks were pretty contested. The Heat did a very good job of, you know, getting out to at least get a hand up on those shots that were trying to break apart the zone. But, you know, it's been a while now since Fred has been hot and someone needs to like tell him or remind him that he had a baby in May. So he's rejuvenated with the Freddie Jr. energy. But I don't know what's going on. It's been it's been tough. The pull up three is not there for him right now. I thought last night in particular against the Heat, he showed a lot of burst and he showed a pretty good acumen for getting to the rim, but he's always going to be limited around the rim, right? Like it's just his size makes it difficult for him to finish through contact, to, to finish through size and height and arms and limbs and thickets. And I am, you know, I don't think that's a surprise. I don't think that's changed or anything like that. The biggest change for him has been the three-point shooting over the last little while. But I do think we're kind of seeing the limits of Fred Van Vliet exposed a little bit. And I think... If you're going to invest in a guy and make him your very clear number one point guard, you're probably hoping he can provide a more, you know, reliable and, you know, closer to star level true shooting percentage. Like you need your point guard to be a reliable scorer. Kyle Lowry over the last eight games is at 61.8% true shooting. And if you're playing in this like heavy pick and roll era of the NBA, you have to have a, a, a point guard who can reliably hit his shots and score from multiple levels. And Lowry's shown that. He's you know busted out those fun little turnaround mid-rangers again. He's been excellent getting to the rim. He's been excellent uh, just as a guy who can, who's picking up free throws and whatnot as well. That's not really been Fred Van Vliet's bag. He's not someone, and look, he doesn't have the ball as much in his, in his hands as Kyle Lowry does, but it's probably not the best use of Fred's skills to have him drive into the basket looking for contact just because he he's not great when he does face that contact. And if you're not getting those calls every time, you're kind of setting yourself up for a lot of misses and a lot of missed bunnies and a lot of wasted possessions. So uh, again, I, I think Fred Van Vliet belongs on the Raptors long term. I think this actually might be a bit of a convenient you know, spell for him to sort of expose some of his, his limitations and maybe the sort of the runaway train of Fred Van Vliet hype that happened when he was leading the team with Pascal Siakam when Lowry and Ibaka were out, maybe that's being sort of drawn back a little bit. And that's probably a good thing overall because the Raptors have the future to consider, obviously. You know, the the honest thing, who knows? You know, the Bucks are really fucking good. So maybe it just is not going to be a thing that matters with Giannis in the future. But whatever it is that they try to do in that summer of 2021, or if it's trying to bring in a star via a trade or something like that, flexibility is going to be key. And, you know, saving a few million bucks on Fred Van Vliet's salary, probably going to be pretty helpful for that. And so as much as I don't relish the idea of Fred Van Vliet not getting the largest bag possible, this could be a bit of a blessing in disguise to see him sort of exposed a little bit. And exposed is a strong word. He's still been good. He's still producing. He's still putting up like 17 a game. I don't think his all-star campaign is still intact. I think his his shooting has been enough to sort of take him out of the running there in a very deep and competitive all-star field. But, you know, I think for the most part, he still is going to be worthy of something between like 17 and 20. And I still think I'm pretty comfortable paying that. I don't think this is how he's going to shoot all the time. He's a very good shooter. He's always been a good shooter. But I do think it's a nice reminder that Fred Van Vliet is not Kyle Lowry. He's not the same player. He's not the guy who you can just throw the ball to and say, all right, you're our lead guard. Go do Lowry, Lillard, Chris Paul type things for us. He might just be slightly less than that. And that's fine. He's an undrafted player. He's six feet tall. He still is fucking awesome. He still has just melons that make it hard for him to walk. It's, you know, there's still so much good about Fred. I just think maybe the uh, the runaway train of Fred Van Vliet just filling that bag up with hypothetical cash, I think is probably slowing down just a little bit. And 
And that sucks for Fred, but the dude's still going to get paid. He He's still absolutely going to get paid, and I think the Raptors are probably going to be the team that does it, as long as it's not some ludicrous sum, north of 25 or something like that. And I think right now the Fred VanVleet Secure the Bag meter is securely resting somewhere between 17 and $20 million a year, and uh, that's where it'll be for now. So a big drop-off from the last one. We were up around 23 or 24, I think, uh, when we were chatting about it. I think with Joe Wolf on about a month ago. Either way, that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Very much appreciated. If you have not yet done it, please go listen to Thursday's episode where we talked uh, for an hour with Coco Baskets and Kelsey O'Brien about RuPaul's Drag Race and player comps to the Raptors and other people in the NBA. One of the most fun podcasts we've ever done. I had a blast doing it, and it might be kind of niche. It might be you know, not totally your bag, your, your speed. If you're not someone who's watched RuPaul's Drag Race, I implore you to watch it because it's a great show and just has ruined all other reality TV for me because it's just so much better than anything else on TV reality-wise and, you know, most other shows in general. But even if you don't care about RuPaul's Drag Race, it's still a fun episode and you should definitely follow both Kelsey and Coco Baskets, who was awesome on the show. And uh, it was great and so awesome to have them. And that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. Very much appreciated when you do that. Uh, Buy We The Champs, wherever you get your books. And we'll be back again on Monday. Monday, where we will talk about the game against the Nets, fuck Brooklyn and all of that, and uh, tee up the week to come as we kind of get back in the regular swing of things here with the holidays being over. Much appreciated for you guys putting up with my long-standing inconsistency over the last couple weeks. Apologies for that, but uh, we're back on the road here for daily next week, and I look forward to it, and there's lots of fun games on, the, on tap, and probably lots of wins because the teams they're playing kind of suck. Anyway, that's going to do it. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you then on another episode of Lock on Raptors. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Thank you.